0: Welcome to the Serial Killer Podcast, the podcast dedicated to serial killers, who they were, what they did and how. Episode 155. I am your Norwegian host, Thomas Rosland Viborg Thun. Tonight, dear listener, I have a true treat for you. We embark on a new serial killer exposé. But this time, we stay away from the Western Hemisphere. The subject of serial murder is not exclusive to the USA. Far from it. As my loyal followers know, the world record is held by a South American man, and if there is one country in which serial killers operate just as much as in the US, it is in my home country's neighbor to the east. Russia. The Russian Federation is the world's largest country, size wise, and it holds dark stories largely untold to Westerners. One of my listeners, Sophie, tipped me regarding tonight's subject. And he exceeds the evil of Western serial killer superstars such as Bundy, BTK, and Green River by miles. Fair warning, this expose takes us into the absolute depths of depravity and evil. So, if you are sensitive to graphic descriptions of sexual murder, this might not be your cup of tea. Our man of the hour is none other than Sergei Alexandrovich Golovkin. He tortured, raped and murdered at least 15 young boys before being stopped. And this is his saga. Enjoy. As always, I want to publicly thank my elite TSK producers club. Their names are Andrea, Boo, Cassandra, Chris, Christy, Cody, Connor, Corbin, Fawn. Gilly, James G, James H, James S, Jared, Jennifer, Johnny, Juliet, Kathy, Kevin, Kylie, Lisa, Lisbeth, Marilyn, Meow, Operation BP, Russell, Sabina, Samira, Scotnia, Shauna, Tim, Tony, Trent, and Val. You are the backbone of the Serial Killer Podcast and without you, there would be no show. You have my deepest gratitude. Thank you. I am forever grateful for my elite TSK Producers Club, and I want to show you that your patronage is not given in vain. As mentioned in the last episode, going forward, all TSK episodes will be available 100% ad-free to my TSK Producers Club on patreon.com slash theserialkillerpodcast. No generic ads, no ad reads, no jingles. I promise. And of course, if you wish to donate $15 a month, that's only $7.50 per episode, you are more than welcome to join the ranks of the TSK Producers Club too. So don't miss out and join now. Sergey Alexandrovich Golovkin was born in 1959 in Moscow. His childhood was reportedly nothing out of the ordinary. Now, in Soviet Russia, an ordinary childhood did not mean what it means in the affluent West. Golovkin's mother was silent, uncommunicative, withdrawn, and was constantly busy with household chores. She preferred to spend family time on reading or handicrafts. She was distinguished by a tendency to dominate. She was arrogant, and usually noticed only those who begged for her attention. The father in the family was more sociable and lively in character, but unlike his ordinary wife, he had a sin. He was a heavy drinker. Both parents coincided only in their desire for suppression of others, submission to their will. Aspirations of the husband and wife for domination in the family led to sharp conflicts between them, which did not contribute to the creation of an atmosphere of home comfort in the family and later ended in divorce. In childhood, Golovkin was often ill. He wet his bed and frequently vomited. Parents treated this without proper tact and understanding. The father tried to raise his son in a Spartan way. He poured ice water over him, causing screeching and trauma. Since then, Golovkin disliked everything related to showering, bathing, and washing with water. Later in life, often did not bother to clean himself using water, which sometimes shocked others. It is even more important to note that there was no emotionally close and warm relationship between the parents and Golovkin, and he felt alienated and alone growing up. It was not customary in his family to caress and kiss a child, to tell him fairy tales and if the parents wanted to instill some rules and skills, they forced him to do it rudely, straightforwardly, unceremoniously, sometimes using physical violence such as beating him with fists and or a belt. Such family upbringing, the increased unyielding nature of his parents, the desire they had to mold their child to their will, combined with coldness and detachment, led to the fact that Golovkin grew up quiet, withdrawn, and preferring loneliness to games with peers. He did not see examples of normal human communication in front of him, since all communication in the family sometimes boiled down to making claims against him, emphasizing the shortcomings of Little Sergei, which gave him numerous complexes. So, he remained forever, alienated, shy, confident in his inferiority, did not trust anyone, including his parents, and he had no friends. All this was further aggravated by his increased vulnerability, anxiety, fear of doing something wrong if he communicated with peers he forced himself to do so because he was afraid of ridicule and did not want to look funny but generally preferred to stay aside and lead an imperceptible grey existence he was quite successful in such a life and if he communicated with someone then they were the same outsiders as he was poor students oppressed and persecuted boys and girls. However, he did not come into close contact with them either, and over time he became even more closed and at the same time even more sensitive and riddled with psychological complexes. His vulnerability and anxiety increased even more in adolescence when he grew tall and lanky, began to slouch, Acne appeared on his face, and he began to actively masturbate, which caused even more anxiety for him. He believed that his comrades were well aware of his quote-unquote secret. Around the same time, he began to constantly smoke cheap cigarettes, starting with cigarette butts picked up from the street. And soon, he could no longer live without nicotine. As a young adolescent man, Golovkin never got to develop naturally. He never participated in peer conversations on sexual topics. The topic was largely taboo in school, or at least restricted to the most basic biological function of sex, and it was never discussed at home. His sexuality has been brought into question many times. But has never been concluded upon. In later interviews, he claims to have always been attracted to girls, but he never managed to develop relationships with girls as a young man. He was simply afraid to approach them. S. Slobodin, a classmate of Golovkin, stated in a later interview the following, and I quote. The girls liked the guys who were well dressed and passionate about music, and he was stooped, pimply, and no one paid attention to him. End quote. Golovkin attended the Moscow Secondary School Number One Hundred and Sixty Seven in the northwest of Moscow. A few of Sergei's classmates were Armen Grigorian, Alexander Sevastov Ivanov. And Igor Schuldinger, who organized a group called Black Spots, which, after undergoing a series of transformations, later became known as Crematorium. The girls liked the guys with the guitars, and they, in turn, knew to take advantage of this fact. Apartment concerts, parties, constant wine and sexual adventures— this was the surroundings of school number 167, and Golovkin, who was closed and sociable, immersed in himself and his problems, gradually lost touch with the people around him, who he felt as incomprehensible, alien, hostile figures. But despite his emotional coldness, Golovkin had fierce, sworn enemies. Once, at the end of his studies at the academy, an event occurred that radically changed the fate of Golovkin. He was severely beaten by teenagers, and he received multiple head injuries. His teeth were knocked out, and his nose was broken. Since then, the feeling of revenge completely dominated his thoughts. He looked everywhere for his offenders but did not find them. Gradually, this feeling was transformed into a kind of general sadistic revenge towards boys aged 12 to 14 years. Since he really could not take revenge on the actual offenders, he constantly thought about how he would rape and kill them, always while masturbating. In Golovkin's mind... These offenders were always boys, his pursuers and destroyers. They not only mocked him and beat him, that was only the half of it, but with their health, relaxed and free behavior, cheerfulness and sociability of youth, with all their appearance they challenged him. He was awkward, gray, ugly, despised. They showed him his insignificance, his ejection from life. He hated them with all his being, hated passionately to the point of losing his mind and wished for a cruel, incomparable death. So, over time, his dreaminess and isolation changed, turning into sadistic fantasies. Usually, before the act of masturbation, He imagined sexual intercourse with classmates. This would be boys, not with girls. And he tortured them, imagining himself as a fascist torturing young pioneer heroes. Boys just like his classmates, who were naked and wriggling with pain in a frying pan or burning at the stake. He imagined slashing into their chest the profiles of Hitler or devils with horns. Sometimes he fantasized about these topics among random people, for example, on the street. But Golovkin did not limit himself to fantasies. Once he burst through, irresistibly wanting to realize all those bright, mesmerizing, and at the same time repulsive pictures that were in his head. At about the age of thirteen, he caught a cat, and purposefully brought it home, just to torture it. He hung the cat, and cut off its head, from which he got a very pleasant sensation. The desired release came, the tension in which he constantly stayed subsided. After that, According to Golovkin, he had dreams of exhuming a corpse and dismembering it. In another instance, he lowered a red-hot piece of iron into his aquarium with fish in, order to see what would happen to its inhabitants when the water boiled. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, if. only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs learn more at uh1.com this episode is sponsored by better help we all have our burdens to bear dear listener and as a man i was and am often told to suck it up keep calm and carry on normally good advice in many situations But never talking about what bothers you is not healthy. Therapy is great to get things off your chest, to vent, and best of all, to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Everyone needs someone to talk to even psychopaths, even your humble host. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash serial killer today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, slash serial killer. In high school, he developed a passion that determined his future profession. Horses, Perhaps for him it was the only outlet in life, something that helped to somehow compensate for the lack of friends and social interactions in real life. Next to the house where Sergei Golovkin lived was a hippodrome, and he spent all his free time there, rode horses, looked after them, picked up literature, studied horse breeding, and later entered a special evening school. Unsurprisingly, his parents did not approve of the choice of their son. His father was especially unrestrained, who, in his favourite insulting and bullying manner, claimed that this was an occupation for morons. Be that as it may, Golovkin showed a firmness uncharacteristic for him before, which spoke of the exceptional importance and significance of of his chosen occupation for himself. So he continued his studies at the equestrian school at Timiryazev Academy. During this time his life was completely devoted to horses. He especially loved stroking foals. The smell that came from them, milk and light sweat, agitated him. In the equestrian section He even had a friend who taught him all the intricacies of riding. He studied hard, was even a comfortable organizer. But in the student collective, he still remained a dark horse. He did not stand out in any way, and, as before, was not interested in girls. He did develop a small student friendship with a fellow female student, but it did not even have a hint of a sexual nature. According to her recollections, at one of the parties they attended, he always sat at the table and ate like an animal, not paying attention to anyone. Golovkin did not love anyone and was not drawn to anyone and he never had sex with a woman. On a psychological level, Golovkin repeated with the girls the relationship he had with his mother earlier, a relationship devoid of warmth and feeling. Golovkin seemingly never developed any real interest in women. Over time, Golovkin developed a sexual sadistic stereotype. He was satisfied only by imagining a very specific object that tortures and then kills. He dreamed of violent sodomy. And this is by no means a coincidence that homosexual drives, like Golovkin's sadism, were first realized at a level of fantasy before becoming reality. Unfortunately. His estrangement from girls and women also played a fatal role. Unable to practice traditional sex, he not only killed children and young men, but also satisfied his sexual needs with them. Actually, this was not sex in the original sense of the word. Homosexual contacts for Golovkin primarily mattered as a method of torture, punishment, and humiliation of a teenager, and sometimes acquired an extremely cruel, sadistic character. Golovkin's first attempts to realize his fantasies in reality came in the summer of 1982. He met a boy on a forest path, asked for help to bring a sack. But the boy, sensing something was wrong, ran away. Golovkin did not pursue him, but the experience took his breath away. That summer, he met a boy of about fourteen, as he later recalled that he was, quote-unquote, pierced by an electric charge. The boy was picking mushrooms. Golovkin pounced on him, but could not strangle him. The victim managed to escape. This did not in any way deter Golovkin; his interest and excitement only increased. In the same year of nineteen eighty-two, after graduating from the academy, he got a job at the Moscow Stud Farm Number One, which is located on the territory of the village of Gorky Ten in the Odintsovo district of the Moscow region. At work, he was treated well. Someone noted his extraordinary capacity for work and diligence. He was even nominated for a silver medal at the Exhibition of Economic Achievements of the USSR. The women of the stud farm treated the young bachelor with an eternal feeling of pity. Sometimes they fed him and even more daringly left their children with him, to which the zoo technician Golovkin treated with visible love. Several teenagers always hovered around him, whom Golovkin skillfully interested in stories about horses. He even allowed them to be present at insemination, which was not allowed by other adults. Working as a veterinarian, Golovkin often inseminated mares, while his eyes either glittered or became cloudy. He seemed to be in a trance, and everyone around him noticed this oddity. Putting on a special glove and checking the mares for fertility, he began to feel for a long time the internal genital organs of the animal, receiving such great satisfaction from this that sometimes he even sang. For such a closed, self-absorbed person, this was not at all typical, and indicated that at that moment he was really experiencing incomparable feelings. Thus, the secret passionate craving for sex life and everything connected with it, which manifested itself in him early and remained at a high level throughout his life, Gradually began to acquire more and more perverted forms. The unsociable, withdrawn, infantile Golovkin was tormented by loneliness and did not find his place among his new acquaintances. The experiences associated with adolescence were still extremely relevant for him. These experiences were somewhat repressed from his active consciousness, but acquired autonomy and began to confidently guide his behavior. The more he psychologically moved away from people, the more stimulating power they gained. He often wandered through the woods and watched children through the bushes, pondering plans for possible attacks, and waited for one of the potential victims to leave the safety of their surroundings. And so it was that in the summer of 1984, he finally had an opportunity to make his depraved fantasies come true. From the testimony of the victim, Andre K., I quote. I was in the pioneer camp, and I went outside the camp to smoke. I did not go far. Suddenly I felt that someone was touching my shoulder. An unknown young man in a green wind jacket took out a knife and threateningly tied my hands behind my back, put something on my head, possibly a cap, and said, Go to the forest if you want to live. There he put a knife to my stomach and ordered me to lie face down. I don't remember what happened next. I was looking for something for a long time, running through the woods. I was in shock. The doctors later found the marks on my neck from the rope. What had happened was that Golovkin hung this boy on a tree, took off all his clothes, and masturbated as he watched the naked boy dangling and slowly suffocating. Then, seeing that the victim showed no signs of life, he brought the boy down. Golovkin did not even attempt to have sexual intercourse with the boy. Fortunately, the boy did not die. Within a month after this meeting with the serial killer, he was in the hospital with a diagnosis of post-hypoxic encephalopathy. But in time, he luckily recovered. Golovkin was very upset by the experience, comprehending it, pondering options for new attacks. He had not managed to rape the boy and was disappointed with himself. At some point, he even decided to give up rape. He was very much afraid of exposure. He decided to act affectionately, made an attempt to seduce a 17-year-old boy. He did this by trying to lure him to the stud farm in the evening and gave him alcohol then put him in bed and took his penis into his mouth. But the boy refused oral sex with Golovkin and even ridiculed him. This failure completely paralyzed Golovkin's will. He waited in terror for his arrest for several months and even thought about suicide. Only after making sure that the unsuccessful attempt at seduction did not entail any consequences, he gradually grew bolder and returned to the idea of attacks on boys. Olovkin made an attempt at the next encroachment on a child in nineteen eighty six. Imagine, if you will, dear listener. Saturday, the nineteenth of april, nineteen eighty six. Five o'clock in the evening. Leaving the train at the Katuar station of the Dimitrovsky district of the Moscow region, Kolovkin walked for some time through the woods toward the Trudu-Yaya station. He was overtaken on a bicycle by a sixteen-year-old teenager. It was Andrei Pavlov, who had come to visit his grandparents in a neighboring village. On this day, the boy collected birch sap and periodically traveled around the forest for this purpose. After a while, Golovkin caught up with him, as the boy arranged a small smoke break for himself. Golovkin came up to the boy, asked for a match, and then, threatening with a knife, dragged the teenager into the forest, where, having previously tied his hands with a rope, he raped him anally. After ejaculating inside the boy, he took a rope out of his bag and strangled the boy nearly to death. When the boy began to regain consciousness, he cut open his throat with a knife. The boy bled to death on the forest floor in utter agony. After the boy had expired, Golovkin went berserk on the body. He stabbed at the dead body furiously. In the neck, chest, and groin. The search for the missing boy began in the late afternoon and continued the next morning. The boy's body was found by his own father. The scene of the crime clearly spoke of the sexual undertones of the murder. The corpse was naked. The genitals had obvious wounds. Nearby lay a bicycle and a three-liter jar prepared for birch sap. No obvious evidence was found at the crime scene. The fingerprints left on the bike frame belonged to individuals with a solid alibi. A survey of local residents showed that on the day of the murder, some saw a tall, black-haired, stooped man with a pimply face who had not previously appeared there. The Young Pioneer Camps of the Soviet Union were the place of vacation for children from the Young Pioneer Organization of the Soviet Union during summer and winter holidays. The summer of what was then known as the Pioneer Summer of 1986 came, and noisy and cheerful children appeared in numerous summer camps for children. None of them could even imagine that at that moment one of the most dangerous and cruel killers in the history of the USSR was walking next to them in search of a victim. The idyllic scene of warm summer and camp frolicking came to an end on the 11th of July when a fourteen-year-old teenager named Alexei disappeared from the Zvezhny pioneer camp. Golovkin, now establishing his modus operandi, watched the boy in the forest. He approached him when he was alone, tied him up while threatening him with a knife, and took him to a remote place deep in the forest. There, he raped the boy anally. Then, realizing a dream that he had long cherished, he hung him from a tree, presenting himself as a fascist punisher. Golovkin, according to his confessions, most of all enjoyed the agony of his victim. He rejoiced at seeing the boy's limbs trembling, his involuntary defecation, his involuntary urination his tongue protruding from suffocation, his eventual frozen facial features. From the corpse hanging on a branch, he cut off the genitals and put them in a pre-prepared bag. Then he opened the abdominal cavity, making an incision with a knife from the chest down to the pelvic bones. Not satisfied with this, he removed the corpse from the branch freed it from the ropes, began randomly stabbing it with a knife, grabbing the hair, cutting the throat, and then completely separating the head from the body. Being in an extremely agitated state, Golovkin at first wanted to take the boy's head with him, but then, after a few hundred meters, he threw it away. The boy's corpse was found the next day, on the evening of the 12th, of July in a forest thicket, 800 meters from the Zvezhny Pioneer Camp, located near the village of Ugryumuvu, Odintsuvu district. The tableau that a detective saw at a crime scene amazed them with its inhuman cruelty. And with that, we come to the end of part one in this Russian exposé. Next episode, number 156 in number, will continue the saga. So, as they say in the land of radio, stay tuned. Finally, I wish to thank you, dear listener, for listening. If you like this podcast, you can support it by donating on patreon.com slash theserialkillerpodcast by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts facebook.com slash the sk podcast or by posting on the subreddit the sk podcast thank you good night good luck